Wow, what an epic story. You can't say the Bible's boring. Don't you just feel like you want to go out and conquer something right now? I know some of you want to go out and conquer lunch. That's a fantastic story. Well, it's an honor and uh, privilege to be able to share God's Word with you today and uh, uh, looking forward to what God has in store as we uh, open up His Word together. Pastor Rick has uh, asked me to talk about the character of Rahab. And um, I don't know if you remember the last time that I spoke, but uh, the last time he asked me to speak, it was on a shady character as well. So I don't know what that's all about. The last time it was uh, Samson, and he was a scoundrel, of course, violent, vindictive guy uh, who had a sexual appetite, and God used him for his glory. And we have another story here in the book of Joshua uh, of God using somebody for his glory, a flawed hero again. And uh, it's an exciting story, so strap on your seatbelts and here we go. Um, It's really important that when we look at characters, when we look at stories in the Bible of people, that we don't get too caught up in the people themselves, but we stay focused on two questions. I think it's important that first of all we understand what does this story teach us about God? It's always about God. What does the story of Rahab teach us about God? And then the second question is, how does that then apply to me? So I hope you'll keep that in mind as we go through this story together. And um, to kick off the story, I just want to go over Rahab's resume with you. Let's look at her bio for a moment. And uh, we see that she lives in a place called Jericho. Now, uh, the Israelites have set up just east of the Jordan, maybe about five or seven miles. Jericho is west of the Jordan, and that's where um, Rahab lives. And we're told in Scripture that she lives... Uh, in the city wall. And it's thought that Jericho um, was comprised of two walls, an outer wall and then an inner wall. And the inner wall was uh, maybe 12 to 15 feet from the outer wall, and it was common that they would build um, residences between those two walls. And Rahab had one of those residences. We're told that she lives on the city wall. The next thing that the Scripture tells us is that Rahab, i got to use the H word, sorry, Scripture uses it, Rahab was a harlot. Now, some people um, have sought to kind of downplay that. They said, ah, she's just an innkeeper. She looked after strangers. But as you look at that word in the Hebrew, the most common usage of that word is for a prostitute. But also, when we look in a moment in the New Testament, you'll see that the New Testament writers also clearly describe her not as an innkeeper, um, but as a prostitute, as a harlot. And that's how she made a living. And uh, so perhaps she was considered a throwaway, somebody who who didn't have much value in society. The next piece of her resume that we want to look at is that she was not part of God's family. She was a Gentile. She was outside. She didn't belong. In fact, not only did she not belong, she was an enemy to God's people. She was part of the Amorites. And uh, we learned last uh, fall when we were studying the book of Judges that the Amorites were one of those uh, groups of people who had become so wicked that they sacrificed their children to their God. So this is where um, the story is set. And uh, Joshua, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Joshua, uh, and if you look in chapter 1 for a minute, you'll see this amazing commissioning that God gives uh, to Joshua. And in verses 2 to 6, you'll read things like this. Um, God tells Joshua that every place that he puts his feet on, every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I've already given that to you, just as I promised to Moses. It says that no one's going to be able to stand before you, Joshua. 
And then this promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then these words that many of us often learned as we were kids, be strong and courageous, for you will cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. So this is the setting. They're all ready to go, and Joshua decides to send secretly two spies in. Now, I want you to go back in history for a moment. Think about the last time that there were spies that were sent into the, into the promised land. It was maybe, what, 38, 40 years ago. And, and God tells Moses to send 12 spies uh, into the land. And they go into the promised land, and they come back with these amazing reports of, of how awesome the land is, you know, how amazing the fruit is, and it's fertile, and it's just this beautiful land. But then 10 of the spies come back, and they say, you know what? But here's the problem. They're like giants in there. And we're so puny, small Israelites. We'll never be able to take this land. They're strong, and we're weak. And they start casting doubt amongst God's people. And as a result, God's people start to grumble and complain. And God places a judgment on that group of people and says, because you don't have faith, because you don't trust me, you're going to wander around uh, in, the, in the desert. So that's what's been going on now for 40 years. And now we come to this place where, again, God has promised the land to his people Joshua has sent in secretly two spies to get a lay of the land. And here's where we pick up the story. I'm going to invite you now to go over just to chapter 2 for a moment. And uh, let's read together verses 8 to 11. Verses 8 to 11. Now here's what's happened. Even though the, the spies have gone in secretly, the king has found out. The king of Jericho knows that they're there, and he sent word to Rahab and says, bring those guys out. I want them. And here's what happens. Rahab lies. She lies to the king, and she says three things. First of all, I don't know where they came from. Second lie, they've already left. They've left at dusk. Third one, I don't know where they went. And then she sends them on a goose trail, a wild goose chase to say, hey, if you go after them, you'll be, maybe be able to catch them. Now, meanwhile, the spies are up on her roof. She's hidden the spies. And we're not going to take a long time this morning to debate this lie. Here's the reality. Rahab lied. But throughout Scripture, you will never see God uh, commending her for her lie. He commends her for her faith. So be very, very careful to not take something like this and say, hey, well, there's an example where God used a lie for His glory. God's Word is clear about lying. But that was the situation that happened. Rahab deceives the king's men, and they're up on her roof. And she's hidden them in these flax stalks. They would take flax, they'd harvest it, and they would go through these cycles of of soaking it and drying it and soaking and drying it to release the fibers that they would then take and weave into linen. So it was a great spot for her to hide the spies. So she had hidden them, and then she comes up to the spies, and we pick up the story in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, where it says this, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. And then she says this, for the Lord your God is God in heaven and on the earth below. 
What an amazing story is unraveling here. Here this harlot, this prostitute, this enemy of God, this Amorite, makes a statement. She makes a statement of faith. Let's talk about faith for a moment. I want you to look in verses 9 and 10. You'll see a couple things about Rahab's faith as we look at God's word together. First of all, she knows what God has done. She's in the loop of what God has already accomplished through his people and by his mighty acts of power. God's dried up the Red Sea and he's destroyed the Amorite kings. But she also knows what God is going to do. Because she says there in verses 9 and 10 that he, she makes the claim, I know God's given you this land. So Rahab believes. She believes in what God has done and what God is going to do. And then she makes this amazing confession of faith, confession of her faith. In verse 11, she testifies to who God is. And she confesses this, the Lord your God is God. So faith is about believing and faith is about confessing. I'd like you to turn over to Romans chapter 10 for a moment. Let's just look at a couple verses there in Romans 10 as we think about faith and we think about believing and confessing. Pastor Rick, uh, as we were looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac, was reminding us last week that, that believing is not just an intellectual uh, exercise where you think about something or you, you, you know something, but it's something much more than that. It's something deeply connected to the core of our being. It's a deep conviction. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So faith is about believing a certain kind of believing, not just a light intellectual, yeah, I think I understand that, but a deep core connection to who we are. I believe. We just sang about that a little while ago. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in, in the virgin birth. I believe in the name of Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just that we know about those things. We know that we know that we know that we know. That's the idea of faith in, in believing. But it's also about confessing Jesus Christ. Confessing Jesus Christ. Over in Matthew, Matthew 10, it, uh, the Lord told us this. Whoever acknowledges me before others... I will acknowledge them before the Father. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before the Father. So confession, giving testimony, is a very important part of our faith. And we see Rahab doing this. She believes what God has done and what he's going to do. And she confesses that he is God. What an amazing thing that God has done. Let's continue, to, uh, let's continue with this story over to uh, verse 12 as we see a plan, a radical plan unfolding after her bold confession. We pick, pick it up there in verse 12 where, where Rahab says, now then, would you please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house that she lived in was part of the city wall. We talked about that. 
She said to them, go to the hills so that your pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath that you made us swear will not be binding unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother and your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside into the street, their blood will be on their own heads and we will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made to us. Agreed, she said, let it be as you say. And so she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So the story continues to go on. Not only has she protected the spies, but now she asks something very specifically. She asks for them to take care of her when God accomplishes his plan. She cuts a deal. She cuts a deal for herself and for her family. And I want you to look at that word, that phrase that's in in verse 12, when she says, will you show kindness to my family like I have shown kindness to you? Now, this isn't the kind of kindness that we typically think about. It's it's not just like buying somebody a coffee and say, hey, I've been kind to that person, or or dropping some change into into a homeless person's cup when they're asking for it. It's much deeper than that. It's the word hesed. Turn to somebody beside you and say, hesed. You weren't very committed to that. Hesed. This word hesed is used like 250 times, um, and it's a very important word, and it speaks of deep, loyal love. This isn't just kind of trite trite affection. Uh, She has demonstrated to them that she's fully committed to them, to God's people, and to God because of the risk that she's taken. In fact, the idea is based on Showing kindness is based on a a covenant, a promise. As I've done this for you, would you do this for me? And so we see that in this story of Rahab, a prostitute, somebody who might be a throwaway, a worthless person, God unveils a really unique plan about faith. We see her believing, we see her confessing, but we see her acting out her faith in a really amazing way. For she took the spies in at great risk. She sends them out protecting them. And think about this for a minute. She had committed treason to the king. Her punishment would be death. So her faith was acted out at high risk, high risk for her, personal sacrifice. Her career was done. She would no longer be able to to continue as she had been. And in fact, because she was a traitor, she would no longer be able to live with her people. So she had put it all on the line, acting out her faith in this kind of way. Go over to Hebrews 11 for a moment. I mentioned that, uh, that Rahab was referred to uh, in the New Testament, and there's a couple passages that are really uh, amazing for us to look at. Let's start in Hebrews 11, and this, of course, is the chapter, the, the hero hall of fame chapter, and we read in verses 30 and 31, this continuing story of, Je- of Jericho as it's picked up in the New Testament. It says this, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. As we think about faith, it's important for us to understand that faith goes beyond just believing something and talking about something, believing and confessing. It's evidenced in how we live. It's evidenced in our actions, what we do. 
James chapter 2 says this, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing to care for their physical needs, what good is it? And then it says this, in this same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. Nada. Nothing. It's not happening. Faith has to be accompanied by action. Pastor Rick reminded us, even the demons believe. Believing is not enough. If you look at James chapter 2, verse 19, he reminds us, the, the demons believe. But then James goes on to give us this example that we looked at last week. Abraham, his faith was true because we saw it in action. When God commanded him to do something, he obeyed right up to the point of risking his son's life, ready to plunge, ready to plunge the dagger into his son's chest. And, uh, and God redeems that situation, saves, provides another sacrifice. But Abraham's faith was active in the same way, if you look at verse 25, Rahab is talked about that way. She's justified by her works. Let me give you an example, talking about faith. How many of you have, you have heard of Jean-Francois Gravelin? Jean-Francois Gravelin. No? Okay. How about this? How many of you have heard of the great, the great Blondin? Charles Blondin. Okay, so a few of you. If you've been to Niagara Falls, maybe you've heard the story before, uh, there's some uh, interesting history about this guy. Uh, Jean-Francois Gravelin changed his name to the Great Blondin because his hair was blonde. And, um, and he was a funambulist. Anybody know what a funambulist is? New word for you. I learned it this week. It's kind of fun to say. Funambulist. It's a tightrope walker. Okay? So the great Blondin was a famous tightrope walker, and he came to Niagara, and uh, he decided that he would be the first person to walk over the Niagara uh, Gorge on a tightrope. And so um, I think the location was probably around the Rainbow Bridge. How many of you have driven over the Rainbow Bridge? Okay, pretty big drop there, right? So uh, they stretch um, this uh, rope that was about three inches thick across, and I think the span was probably over a thousand feet across the gorge, and he decides to be the first person to walk over the Niagara Gorge. And he's a real showman. They're calling people all around to come and watch this amazing thing. People are thinking the guy's going to die, and they charge admission 25 cents per person. Another 25 cents if you want a chair. And they come to see the great Charles Blondin. And of course, he's a showman, so he makes a big deal of it. And I guess with that kind of a, a span, uh, by the time the rope got to the middle of the journey, it was like a 60-foot drop from where he started. So like 60 feet down, and then another 60 feet to the other side in terms of the drop. A 1,000-foot span across. And the great Blondin goes across there with his big pole and makes it really dramatic and stops and takes a break, and it takes him like almost 20 minutes to get across the, the first time, and the crowd all cheers, and they're... They're roaring for the guy, and uh, he takes a little break, and then he kind of zips back on the way back. It takes him five minutes to get back. No problem. And apparently, he crossed like 17 times, and every time, he, he kept making it a bigger show and a bigger show, and one time, they say, he, uh, he got kind of halfway across, and he cooked an omelet, and uh, it says they, he gave it to the, somebody on the Maid of the Mist down below. I don't know how that worked out, but he kept upping the ante all the time. 
And then the story goes like this, that one time a crowd had, of course, gathered again, and he's got a wheelbarrow, and he says to the crowd, how many of you believe that I can cross this gorge on the tightrope with the wheelbarrow? And they say, yeah, you can do it, yeah, I can do it. Don't you think I'm going to fall? No, 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 you never fall. You're the great blonde, and you're, gonna, you're never going to fall. How many of you think I could take a person across? Yeah, you can take a person across. And they're all cheering, and uh, Blondin singles out somebody uh, in the crowd and s- asks the same questions. Do you think I can do this? Do you think I'm going to fall? No, you're not going to fall. Do you, think, do you think I could take somebody across? Yeah, I think I could. Well, then get in the wheelbarrow. Guy doesn't get in the wheelbarrow. Nobody got in the wheelbarrow that day. You see, they had kind of an intellectual understanding of what Blondin could do. They'd heard the stories of what they've seen him walk across, and they said, they even testified, yeah, you can do it, yeah, you can do it. But they weren't willing to put their faith in action. They weren't willing to truly get in that wheelbarrow. And uh, sometime later, apparently, uh, his manager was bold enough to get on the back of Charles Blondin, and, and, and Charles Blondin piggybacked his manager across, there's a picture of it there, across that huge gorge. I would say that manager had true faith. Hey, that manager had true faith. So faith is about believing and confessing, but it's putting your faith in action. And this is what Rahab, Rahab the prostitute did. She believed who God was. She knew what God had done and what God was going to do. She confesses this, but she then puts it into action. What an amazing story. So we know that, um, that there's no such thing as undercover believers, no such thing as undercover believers. And Rahab reminds us about the important, uh, the important action we need to demonstrate our faith. Total trust, total dependence, a great sacrifice and cost for her. Let's continue with the story in chapter 6. We'll pop over a few more chapters and we pick the story up here. Where, of course, uh, you'll see that, uh, and we saw it on the video, that uh, Joshua gathers the people around. They, they march around the city seven times. There's a great shout. And, of course, the walls come tumbling down. Now, meanwhile, Rahab had been obedient. She put the scarlet cord on her window as a, as a sign. And so you'll see that uh, in this section here, uh, as it goes down, Joshua says to the people, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in according to her oath uh, to her. So the young man who had, been, who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. And they brought out her entire family and placed them outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent in his spies to Jericho. And listen to this. And she lives among the Israelites today. So in this amazing picture, we see the story of God's love, a story of redemption, a story of covering. Rahab had covered the spies, and now she puts this covering on her window, and God protects her as they go and they take the city. What an amazing thing. You know, in Psalm 32, there's some amazing language that God uses for us. Psalm 32, 1 and 2, where he says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. It says the same kind of thing in Romans 4, 7, and 8. 
Blessed is the one whose sin is covered, whose sin the Lord does not count against them. What a beautiful thing. Well, this picture that we have here, you know. You know, back, um, back when the Israelites were, were enslaved uh, in Egypt, there was another covering. I don't know if you remember that, but, but God tells the people through Moses that, uh, that there's going to, there, the angel of death is going to come, but he instructs God's people to put a covering on their door, take the Passover lamb and put it on the doorposts so that when the angel of death comes over, they're going to be covered. In the same story here, um, Rahab has this symbolic covering on her window, and she's passed over. She's covered. What a beautiful picture of God's work for His people. He covers us. He rescues us. We were dead in our, in our sin, and God rescues us from that, from our past, from our circumstances. From being dead, He gives us new life. What a gift of grace, and He redeems us. And of course, this story really gives us a picture forward of the work of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is our scarlet covering, our sign. He covers us. He rescues us from our past. He redeems us from our sin, and He releases us from the debt that we owe because of our sin. And then He repurposes us. He liberates us to something new. And that's what I want to close with this morning, is how God took this took this person who was an enemy of his people, who had a lifestyle of sin, who didn't know him, and how he redeems her. It's totally cool, I think, that we see Rahab in Hebrews 11, we see her listed with some of the other heroes of the faith, with Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joseph. She's on display. She's on display for all generations, including her past is on display. The New Testament doesn't cover that up. But they include her past in that, but God has redeemed that and calls her a hero. Amazing. The other thing that's really neat is that passage we read in Joshua just a moment ago tells us that Rahab, when she came out of the city, she was taken in, and then she ended up living with the Israelites. She got adopted in to God's family, just like we are adopted into God's family. So she gets a renewed status by becoming part of God's people. In addition to her past getting redeemed and her status getting changed, renewed, her honor gets restored. And this is so cool. If you look at Matthew 1, go there for a moment, Matthew 1, and in this chapter we see the lineage of um, leading up to Jesus Christ, his legal lineage leading up to Joseph. And in here we see Rahab listed as well. In fact, it shows us in this passage that she's part of the uh, lineage to King David. In fact, here's how it goes. Rahab was King David's great-great-grandmother. Isn't that cool? Somebody who was an enemy of God, somebody who had a lifestyle you'd never think God could use, God rescues that person and puts her in a royal lineage. You'll see that in Matthew uh, 1 verse 5. And uh, the other thing that's totally cool, if you go, go first uh, Chronicles 2.51, don't turn there now, you might want to note it, but we see there she actually marries a prince, a chief kind of prince. She so, so she gets a whole new honor status. Somebody who was kind of a throwaway worthless becomes the bride of a prince, part of God's family, part of the lineage of King David, and then the lineage of Jesus Christ. There's the lineage there, as you see the generations. I just think that's an amazing, cool picture of how God takes somebody and rescues them. In fact, look who God uses. God uses people like Moses, a murderer, Sarah, somebody who was a doubter and who lied, Samson, we talked about him last time, a scoundrel, 
a vindictive, violent man. Jacob, a deceiver. King David, an adulterer, a murderer. Matthew, a cheater, a tax collector. Who wants a friend like that? Peter, denied Christ, an apostate. Paul, persecuted the church. Look at the crowd that that God has chosen and picked and used to incorporate into his story, to demonstrate to people that he's a God who saves, that he's a God who rescues. But he repurposed every one of those people for his honor and glory. I think what happens often is our enemy, the deceiver, he accuses us in two two areas. Perhaps you've had a past that you might say, hey, you know what, my past is kind of like Rahab. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough like some of these other characters here. God could never use me. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie. I think God God reminds us in His Word that all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's the other side of the lie. Some of you are sitting here and you say, thank goodness I'm not like Rahab. Thank goodness I didn't renounce Christ. Look at me. I'm pretty good. That's the other side of the lie. Because God's Word tells us, Romans 3, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the good news. Our past does not need to limit our future. It comes down to this. What's our choice going to be? Are we going to align ourselves with culture or are we going to align ourselves with Christ? Will you choose the world around you or will you choose Christ? Rahab was surrounded in a world of evil, but it was her world. It's where how she, how she lived, how she, how she took care of herself. And she chose to align herself with God. At, at total risk, and she put her faith in the hands of God's people. And as a result, God, God rescued her and redeemed her and repurposed her for His honor and glory. We, every one of us has a choice. Later in Joshua, Joshua, we have these amazing, encouraging words where he stands before God's people, and he says this to them, choose for yourselves today, this day, who you will serve. But as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua 24 for 15. Today, every one of us and every day we have a choice. Are we going to live for Christ or are we going to live for ourselves? Are we just going to blend in to culture? Even though we say we believe, we're not going to confess it. We're not going to act like it. Or are we going to choose Christ and we're going to testify what's in our heart with our words and with our actions? If you've never done that, today is the day. Today is the day. Tomorrow you have another choice, and the day after you have another choice. I'm going to invite the team to come up, and and we're going to sing a song that just reminds us that Jesus Christ is that scarlet covering, that scarlet covering that takes care of our sin, that takes care of our past, and allows us to be repurposed in His will. Let's... uh, Let's sing this song as we, as we give thanks for the amazing work of grace that God offers to every one of us. Let's stand together. Jesus Christ is uh, standing with you at what appears to be the huge gap of your future. And he's holding that wheelbarrow of faith, that wheelbarrow that demonstrates his lordship. And you see, are you getting in? Are you getting in? You say you believe. You say, I'm Lord, but are you getting in the wheelbarrow? Every day we have that choice to make, to take up our cross and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope this story of Rahab has been an encouragement to you. No matter what you've done, where you've been, what you haven't done, 
God rescues people. That's the kind of God that we have, a God of full of mercy. God so loved the world that he gave. But then he calls us to something. He calls us to true faith, faith that's deeply connected to our core, true conviction, that we give testimony to, not just here on Sunday morning with a worship song, but we testify all the time, and we live out in the actions to our world around us. Dr. Tony Evans says this, yesterday does not have to determine your tomorrow if you make the right choice today. Yesterday does not have to determine your tomorrow if you make the right choice today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the power of your word, how it gives us counsel, how it transforms our lives, how it gives us a roadmap of the relationship that you want us to have with you. Thank you for this amazing story that gives us the sense of your heart, your heart to redeem and to rescue, and how it points us forward to the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, our scarlet sacrifice, Lord, that covers us, that redeems us. Lord, may the response that we just sang be true, that we owe all to you, that we surrender all to you. Now I pray that God himself, the God of peace, would sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God bless you.